Compassion never gets old. Compassion never gets old. You're never going to see compassion being uh, moved over to the grave. It's always meant for us to have. You're going to have to change this up a little bit. I'm all kind of strange sound. Let's go to um, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28. Luke chapter 6. These verses have, uh, over the years, have been pretty important to me. And I still, I got still, I got this reverb back here. Right? Oh, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Although, I don't think it's on, or it shouldn't be on in the thing. Okay. Well, we'll see if that's better. Um, yeah, I still got it here. Do you guys hear it, or is it just me? Okay. Isaac, you might, I don't know if you need to turn it down or if you just need to turn the gain down on it. Okay. Uh, Luke 20, chapter 6, verse 29. Compassion de determines how you look at people. Compassion determines how you look at people. Here in verses 27, 20, it says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you. How many of you believe in that? How many of you believe this is how we have to live? The obligation and the motive to rightly do what Jesus said here is supplied to us through compassion. I was this week I was listening to some stuff on Right Now Media encourage that here. And they got some wonderful stuff in on marriage. And it was uh, one of the things that I was listening to as a part of some of the, somewhat the difference between sympathy and empathy. But how important it is in our relationships and in our marriages especially that we have something of that nature in it, the compassion for one another. Because how many of us know that the world around us and the temptation in our own flesh itself creates all kinds of opportunity to do anything other than act out with compassion? You just said something that rubbed me raw or did something that bothered me or you didn't do something that I had asked or hoped you would and here we are. Compassion is so important because you look at the life of Jesus and I would just, I would just challenge you today. Look throughout the Word and notice how many times it says Jesus had compassion. I think it's pretty phenomenal. I think it was highlighted because it's not just that Jesus did the right thing, but that He did it with the right kind of feeling, the right kind of mood that went along with it, the right kind of heart. My definition of compassion. So I don't like the way the dictionary says it because I think we get the idea of it but how does it interwork within our life? So I usually try and take what is the definition and create what looks like to me, what I feel like is my definition of compassion, um, putting it in my own words. Compassion is the moral barrier that prevents us from being seduced into the darkness of revenge. It arouses us to pity others, even our enemies. I want to say that one more time. It should be up there, I think. It should be on the slide. Next slide. Yep. 
Obligation. Uh, sorry. Okay. Compassion. Definition. Is the moral barrier that prevents us from being seduced into the darkness of revenge. It arouses us to pity others, even our enemies. I had a co-worker one time, and I think I've shared little bits and pieces, but I said I think it was maybe even a week ago, it was, it was just better for us to be on two opposite sides of the house. And one thing is, is that it was hard to be in the midst of a, another man that had his way of looking at the world and just coming to work with an attitude. Sometimes it was like he woke up, I remember he had shared with me, he said he had gotten his happy pills. And what they were is to help keep his mood down so that when he got there in the morning, because you notice there was a difference between morning and afternoon. And from the morning to the afternoon was always a difficult struggle. And then the afternoon on went forward. You know, and I never took into consideration maybe it was something he couldn't control or whatever the case was. But whether it was or wasn't, the issue was is that I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of pity for him at the beginning because... I knew right away that the way that he talked about me, the way that he was like with the other guys at work, the way he treated me, or even secretly, uh, as long as I wasn't there, just the way he, the aura that I got about it, I just knew that it was not pleasant and I didn't want to be around him for that reason. And the more I knew and sensed that, the less I wanted to be around him. And so I had this thing inside of me that said, there's no reason to trust him no reason to make friends with him, no reason to try and endure anything with him because he won't take it at heart anyway. But I, I watched over years of time it happened and some of the guys that he was attached to, they left and I don't know what they went to go do, a different job, live in a different community. But we were beginning to be pushed more and more together. And as we did, we had to relate with one another. We had to come to work together. But even in that environment, I had to not get rubbed wrong by the attitude at times. I had to learn not just to push off and avoid. I had to do the best I could to have the joyful mood that God started me in and continue that with this in motion. And I remember there was times where I felt like I just didn't, I just didn't really feel like I had it in me. So I wanted to get away, and there would be times of avoidance, but there would be times to coming. But there would be these sweet moments between us that it was just like I needed to be there, he needed me at the moment. And I remember one of them, there was another coworker that they were ready to get in a fist fight, and they were thrashing it out. And I had been the kind of the medium between the two of them. And I remember them yelling off in a distance at one another, and I could see it heating up. And I thought to myself, oh, this is going to end badly. <laughs> and... I remember just getting hotter and hotter, and I, I called out to him. I yelled out his name, and, uh, and what I was doing was I was looking for something in the van, and the moment it hit me, I, this is about the only way I might be able to peel him away, I said, why don't you come over here and help me? I can't find something. And that wasn't the reason why I wanted him over there, but I thought it might help. And I remember he walked up, and he said to me, thank you, thank you. Because he didn't have the control of himself and his emotions to keep himself from getting in it with this guy. So when I was the barrier to stop that in his motion, he came up and I helped cool him down. But we had had some experience together. And what I had realized is, is that 
as I got to know Him more, as I got to be more around Him, as I begin to feel the tug on my heart for His soul, and we worked together, in working together, we worked in the cold, we worked in the heat, we had, I remember I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and he was talking about the camaraderie of being in battle with other men and at war and stuff, and I said, I asked him, I said, uh, were they all saved men? And he said, no. But yet you had camaraderie with them. I said, yes. Because they faced difficulty together. And what I realized is that is one of the best things that God could give us is a time in life with one another where we share the pain, the difficult circumstances together. And somehow we learn to be our best when things are hard because we want to encourage one another. One of my greatest days at work was with another guy, not him. But it was, it was rainy, it was cold, it was wet, it was miserable, and we were in LaGrande. And I remember thinking, oh, this is so miserable. And I'd watch him working on something and breaking it and trying to fix it and breaking it again. And it would just be this renewed struggle over and over again. And I'd see him get mad and uptight with it. And then I would start to laugh. And then he would start to laugh. And then it just kind of flip-flopped, and I realized what we were for one another was the morale behind each other's stress and struggle throughout the day. I remember my hands being so cold. that It's been like this over time, but they get so cold that it's like I can't use them anymore. I can't grab anything. And there we are laughing with one another, cold, wet, and struggling, but realizing this is redefining our relationship and that level of compassion that we can have with one another. You may be a cussing, you may be a swearing, you may be dishonoring in many ways, but there's something that God can develop if we can have compassion for one another. Compassion changes the context. The moment you have compassion, whatever it is you're dealing with, it changes the context. It may have been sour, unhappy, un without blessing, but it changes the context. Compassion redefines the offense. You see, it's so easy to be offended when you have no compassion. It's so easy to find, without even there being an offense, allowing for an offense because we don't have compassion. You know, you see so many times Jesus, there was times when Jesus, He was pretty brunt, blunt. But not everything was a bluntness from Jesus. Compassion safeguards our hearts from bitterness. Let me say that one more time. Compassion safeguards our hearts from bitterness. I don't know about you, but how many of you are taking time when somebody does something or doesn't do something, but especially when they do something that bothers you, how many of you are just marking that up? You just keep marks up. How many of you keep that in your memory banks? How many of you make sure to tell them about that later on when there's a problem that's stirred up? So when we do this, what we're doing is we're not safeguarding our heart from the bitterness that continues to, opportunities that continue to give us reason for bitterness. But if we'll have compassion. And one of the things I think about for compassion is, is why don't we just suppose the best even though it feels like the worst? It feels like you're not meaning my good, but why don't I just suppose that there's something behind the scenes that I don't see? 
Why don't I just grasp it at that? Why don't I think like that? Because if we don't think in that sense, the, the voice of compassion is, is always put the best twist you can on something. That's the voice of compassion. The voice of compassion is, it look for an answer when it feels like you just can't handle the problem. The voice of compassion is, is consider that maybe there's something rubbing that's hurting them and they're not saying it rightly. I know I've been in that situation so many times that what I just said wasn't really the heart of what I meant. And I'm just in a feeling, I'm raw emotionally. And oh, if you could see, if you had the ability to detect in that moment really what's at heart going on. And this is, I remember one time in my life, I was so heated over a situation. And I had to get away and I drove off somewhere in the community. If I remember right, I was kind of at the edge of the Adventist church, Adventist church, and I was just struggling over something. And I was angry at heart. And I remember God speaking to my heart. Is this thought was when this is all over with, is that person, is that how they're going to feel? Or is it going to be changed when the emotion has died down? And I realized something in that moment. I can have compassion because emotion can carry us to say things and to do things in the moment that when it dies down, this is the reality. This is the reality. You still love me. You are still my friend. You still care for me. I'm still important to you. But the emotion was at a high in the moment. And if God can get into our hearts, we can have His compassion and not look for offense, but look for an opportunity to care. And I think this is powerful because it's so important that in our relationships that we find every avenue we can to get out of seeing it as an adversity. Why isn't it a blessing? Why isn't it a challenge to the grace of God inside of you? Why isn't it a deeper call to the mercy of Jesus in our life that Lord, I am inviting you. Oh, Lord, am I inviting you to just bring my enemy to my side today? The one who's going to say things that are going to strike at me like arrows so that I can know your compassion. So that the Holy Spirit and His power can empower me to go beyond the human frailty that I know and experience. You know, you look actually oftentimes in the Bible when Jesus, just before He, he uh, did a miracle, there was compassion. He was compassionate. What happens when we lose compassion? You can put that up there on the overhead. What happens when we lose compassion? Indifference and cold-heartedness set in. It darkens our perception of one another at the same time hardens our hearts towards God. You have to under, we have to do this. We have to realize the moment that we succumb to anything that God has not called us to do. He's not called you to carry that bitterness. He's not called you to hold on to that unforgiveness. And when you do, your heart immediately hardens before God. What you might not do is detect it because you can still sing a song. You might even feel somewhat merry and forget about the situation at hand and be able to sing a song, and but that indifference and that cold-heartedness actually comes back into your relationship with God. I think it's so powerful the way Jesus said, forgive your, those who have done you wrong 
because of this very reason. You cannot get out from under how it automatically hardens you. Number two, it enlarges offenses. When I don't have compassion, it enlarges those offenses automatically. With that, it ensnares us with bitterness. It ensnares us with bitterness. I remember a man years ago, he had said he hated his dad, and I thought, well, where is your dad? Oh, he's dead. You hate your dad and he's dead? Still carrying the bitterness of his life. You know, I, I know as I've become a father of my, myself, I realize I let my kids down unintentionally. I do things without intent. And I think, Lord, if I had seen this with my dad when I was young, I would have had compassion for him. It was like dad didn't, my dad promised me that he would take me out one day and do this, and he didn't do it. And then it, all, it kind of made me struggle at times, thinking my dad just wouldn't keep to what he said. But if I had realized the kinds of things that set on adult shoulders, the kinds of responsibilities, it would have been an eye-opener for me in my young, in my teenage years especially. When we don't have compassion, it imprisons us with paranoia or fear. Paranoia goes beyond rational fear. It develops biases out of false assumptions. I've had, I, I felt like the Lord dropped in my spirit a while back in the verse in Timothy where he says, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to put paranoia in there for fear. The Lord has not given us a spirit of paranoia, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. If you think about it, all of us have been and are probably have to deal with paranoia to some degree. Because the paranoia is an assumed fear that has not yet happened. An assumed thing that we can't prove to be real. And so we are actually succumbing to that paranoia. Rather, we would say we're, it's a big thing. We're hiding away. We're running away. Or we pray with paranoia in mind. And imagine what kind of a dishonor it is to God to pray out of your own paranoia. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. And God would like to say to us, just let me show you the truth. And you need to submit your fear and your paranoia to the truth that I reveal. I remember, as I've shared with you, some of the circumstances of my past, but I remember feeling like there was a fear that my mother's boyfriend of what he would do or could do. I remember one day sitting up in my room just trying to figure out how am I going to get to that Bible study. I desperately wanted to get to that Bible study. But I knew his teeth were set on edge and he was ready. He was ready for me. And I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to get down out of my room and make my way out of the house and go find my ride to get to the Bible study tonight because he's going to be there sitting for me. He knows what I'm going to do. You know what that means? That means James has done this before. <laughs> it's, he's done this before and he knows I've done it before. And he is told me and he let me know, you are not going to church. You are not going to Bible study. And I remember that, that paranoia of, and worry and that concern inside of me. And then that night, he didn't even make it home until late. And I finally walked down the stairs, kind of worried. Maybe he was had his head somewhere around the corner and peeking. 
and I was paranoid. And he wasn't there. And I walked out the door thinking, at any moment, he's got to have his eyes on me. There's got to be something that I'm missing here because he does not want me going. And I make my way to the Bible study and I come home later that night. And what I, re- what I found out was that he had stayed in the bar because of his paranoia. He was so struggling so badly because he did not know what to do with me. I was a spiritually rebellious teenager that was just getting in the way of whatever he wanted to see happen. And so I just realized from that, God has the answer, and we do not have to let paranoia control the direction of our life. The devil is not in control. He's not in control. If you're going through something, you're like, I'm afraid of something happening because of, and we let paranoia decide whether we can or cannot do something. Jesus made the statement, He said, and I don't think that means we go looking for something deadly to drink, but what He's saying, in the direction of my will, when you unknowingly take something and drink something deadly or poisonous, it shall not hurt you in the direction of following me. Now imagine that. Jesus is basically wiping the slate clean and said, you have no reason to be paranoid. But yet you hear Christians over and over. I'm going to say something because I got to. You hear us talking about the agendas in the politics. You hear us talking about what's going on in the Biden administration and all of that. And what we're doing, it's not the fact that we're talking about it. It's what we're doing with it that bothers me. Because I don't have a problem that we're making the right kinds of votes, that we're getting out there saying people to do this or that. But the issue is this. It's when we get to the place when we feel like if we don't do enough, if we don't put out enough action, if we don't put out enough banners, if we don't do, if we don't do it, God's not sovereign. And it's the very reason why we're undermining the value of what we are doing. Because we stopped trusting God along the path. And now we've let paranoia control our prayer life. Okay, i got to go further. Compassion is vital to the ministry of one another. Compassion is vital to the ministry of one another. Let's look in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12-13. You know, it's bad when you're the preacher because before you know it, you got one point and you're like, man, I love this point. And I'm going to stay on this point. Like, wow, this is not going to be the hour of sermon that I thought it was going to be. Compassion is vital to the ministry of one another. Colossians 3, 12-13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Do you know how tempting it is as a pastor that if you didn't call me up, if you left early or if you said something that uh, I just felt like 
Do you know how tempting it is to think I was the one who did, I said something that offended, I caused a problem? Do you know how often that happens unbewittingly? So this is the thing that Jesus is dealing with in this. It's like if you think about it, I have to have something that safeguards me from that. And one thing I've learned in ministry is I compassionately say, you know, until I find out otherwise, I refuse to believe that you have any issue with me. I refuse to believe that you have a problem. The bad thing about that is you may carry that problem for a long time and we can have this... Uh, division between the two of us and I'd have no idea that if I just went and said I'm sorry that it'd be over with but it is what it is right but I think it's far less than what we perceive and what we think we perceive the other thing is is that oftentimes you become you become the target that belongs to the devil you become his target and when we have the compassion of God, we don't let ourselves become the target. We don't feel the target. So, have tender mercies. Anything else, I love, I love this thought, anything else would be below my pay rate. And the reason I say that is because how many times we've been at work and somebody says, that's below my pay grade. I'm not going there. I'm not going to do it, is what they're saying. They don't pay me enough to do that. Or they pay me too good to be doing that for sure. And so I think, I think when we talk about compassion, and we think about what spiritual compassion is, what we're saying, it's below my pay grade. It is below my profession as a Christian to live any other way. I refuse to do it. I'm not going there. And put a checklist at any time you feel that struggle pop up again. And remember, this is not who God's made me. Before we can begin to put others first, we have to have compassion. Think about all the times the Bible directs us to put others in front of ourselves, to put others first. We have to have compassion. Or we will easily be slighted by one another when love could have fixed the problem. When love could have fixed the problem. We need this in order to take and put each other first. For those who think compassion can enable evil, and I had to think about this because I think I could hear somebody in the background saying, Pastor, it seems to me like there's too much compassion in the world with people. And I, I had to think about that because I was like, you know, there does seem like there's like this, but is it compassion or is it something else? And I think what we're not talking about is compassion. I think what we're talking about is insecurity. Because what compassion is different from insecurity because insecurity, the reason for ultimately the underlying motive behind it is because I need your acceptance. So if I don't do this good, you might not accept me. And I don't want to be put in bad light. That hurts me. And I don't want to be hurt. And I'm afraid of what that feels like. So I'm going to do good when I shouldn't be doing that for you. I shouldn't be giving you that money at that time. I shouldn't be giving you the food at that time. I shouldn't be clothing you at that time. I shouldn't be opening up my home or whatever at that time. But I did because I felt insecure, not compassionate. Yes, there's this other kind of compassion, but it's not the one we're talking about biblically. 
Because I think biblical compassion, when you look at Jesus, I remember it was the rich, I think it was the rich man, and it was that and he said, Lord, what must I do to be saved and, and go to heaven? And it said Jesus loved him. But he said, Go and sell all that you have. He didn't make it easy. And, and then he went away sorrowful. And Jesus didn't go kind of reclaim him in his own kind of compassion. He knew that that man was going to have to go through whatever he had to go through to surrender his life in order for the compassion of God to work the miracle that it needed to work. God is setting us up for the compassion. But what we see behind true compassion is is that... uh, Let me see back to where I was. Compassionate, uh, compassionate people in the Spirit of God, they withhold and give out of concern for the person regardless of the acceptance. I'm not looking for your acceptance. God has dealt with me over that. But I am choosing not to give you something because I honestly sense that it is not in your best interest, your best interest, that I do this. That's compassion. It's the kind of compassion we don't talk about all that often, but it's compassionate not to give you something that's going to hurt you, that's going to take you south spiritually or going to mar your life. I know some people, I remember a young man a long time ago, he said, pray for me about this young girl that I, I'm falling in love with over, he was, a, he was 16 years old. He's falling in love with her over it. And he's like, pray for me because we're going to have distance in our relationship. I met her at camp and da, 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 da. And I said, uh, so do you have a Bible passage for this relationship? No. Well, why are you entered in? Well, because I just felt something when I was around her. And then I said, are you ready to get married? No. I said, well, then I'm not praying for it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you, you need to leave it alone. Sorry, buddy. Leave it alone. You're not ready for it yet. And if this is the relationship God had planned for you, it's going to be there later on. But probably what's happening is you're prematurely trying to dive into something that God hasn't really prepared for you yet. And it's evident because you don't have the Word of God. You don't have the voice of the Lord speaking it to you, but yet you're ready. And you wanted me to give you compassion. Well, here's compassion. And I feel like I, I did compassionately want. There's nothing inside of me that wanted him to mess up his life in a bad relationship or too early. I want you to be pure and holy and ready for that marriage when it takes place. And so it's like I just disheartened another young man out of compassion. Compassion may lose their interest, but it was meant to restore their soul. So I don't think we're talking about an overly compassionate person when you see somebody give, 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 give. I think what you find is a very insecure person who hasn't learned what compassion is all about. Do you love that? I love that. Have you ever tried to forgive without compassion? It's about like trying to swim and walk and swim without water. Matthew 4:14. When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. There's one of them. Jesus was charged with the Holy Ghost compassion, the kind that wasn't mixed with human insecurity. 
Oh, Jesus was probably one of the most unaccepted of all people, and yet he didn't lose any foothold on the will of God. So when we see this in Jesus' life, this ensures that Jesus never walked an inch outside of the will of the Father and in his pity and love for people. I want to say that one more time because it's so important. This ensured that Jesus never walked an inch outside of the will of the Father in his pity and love for people. He never went outside of that boundary. He never went outside of that. But yet he had, and nobody had it better than Jesus did. He had true compassion. He was full of compassion. He never missed a moment of compassion. But yet he never walked outside of the will of the Father. So whenever he faced his enemies, he had the right kind of compassion. Whenever he get sent a rebuke their way, he still had the right kind of compassion. He was still married. He didn't have to throw compassion out the door to give rebuke. And neither do you. We don't have to throw it out the door in order to have a need for rebuke. We call it tough love. And I wonder if sometimes what we mean by tough love is that I don't have compassion when I deal with you. I don't have a deeper regard for the welfare of your soul. I'm just aggravated and angered by your choice and how you've responded to me. And so I'm going to give you some tough love. That's not compassion either. So that's why we need the Holy Spirit, because it divides us from the infirmities of our own humanity and brings us into the clear light of God so that we do not mistreat people based on the way we feel that we've been treated. And when you get down to it, it's still insecurity and it's not compassion. But the compassion of God keeps us holy and pure in all of our dealings with each other. The best kind of compassion is what you get from living close to God. I remember, uh, we're getting close to the end here, but I remember somebody, every time I have to tell a story, I leave out certain facts and parts and pieces to it because I want to make sure that you don't have a clue if it's somebody that you knew here in Wallowa County or somebody in my past life or something like that, that... I'm, I'm all too afraid that Mike has known me longer than I knew that he knew me. So <laughs> I just leave out some facts and I leave the story with you. But I remember there was somebody, and this has happened more than once, but this in particular. I went to help this this guy that I was becoming friends with. And he'd asked me of what was really, really important, kind of like this would be the last thing I would want to do uh, before I died. And, and I felt so compelled under the circumstances because I thought, he's accepted me, he's asking me for help, I cannot deny him. I'm looking at the kind of the situation he's in, he might not get another chance or an opportunity. And everything naturally said, you have got to do this. You have no right not to do this. And so I started trying to secure an opportunity to make it happen. And I kept getting frustrated because it wasn't working. And I thought to myself, you know, sometimes that's the devil. But other times God's got you on task, and it's God at work, and you're just being foiled at what you're trying to do. So stay on it if you feel like God's really calling you to do it. So usually I just test it a little bit too far is what really happens. And I did, and finally I secured something, 
And just when it was all about ready to work out and I was ready to go over to his place and let him know that things were going to work, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, no, no, do not do this. And I didn't get a, something bad's going to happen. I didn't get a, why? I just knew in my spirit, and I remember the Lord speaking to me. It was, it was, and if I could put it in words, I would say this, James, don't you ever think that it's not dangerous to start doing what you think is good for people when I am not the one who authorized it? Do you not? And, and then I saw the danger of my own heart because I realized, oh, I'm so, I'm so Mr. Compassionate. I'm so Mr. Out There. No, I'm so Mr. Insecure. That's what I was really facing that day. And so I remember as it broke and I felt this anxiety that I was struggling over. We create our own anxiety, don't we? I was struggling over the anxiety, trying to make it happen, trying to tug it. And really all along, my spirit was saying, God didn't say do this, did he? But I was like, oh, no, I'm sure the Lord is probably somewhere in this because I feel compassion. And I feel like it's good and it should be done. And then uh, finally, when the Lord spoke to me and gave me the no, and it was like the rebuke had brought me peace. The rebuke of God brought me peace. And I was like, you know, he might not like me after this, but I am glad I have peace with God. The Lord brings clarity in times of repentance. When we walk with God, we will not be disappointed by our failed attempts at kindness. <laughs> love never fails. But what has love called you to do? Sometimes love says, no, I'm not doing that. So we, when we look back on our life and we feel like we've been disappointed by the attempt to do good, what we really found is all the times we probably didn't listen to the Lord <laughs> and missed the mark. And if it didn't And if our idea behind it is, is it's got to turn out well. They have to have a new behavior or else. No, all you have to do is satisfy the will of God. That's all we ever have to do is satisfy the will of God and what He's called us to do. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. I love this in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. Let's finish with this verse. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 through 25. Thank you, Isaac, for having that up there. Through, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are anew every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him to the soul who seeks Him. I think this verse is great. I love that song that goes along with it. The Lord's mercies are anew every morning. Anew every morning. We could sing that, and as we look over our life, and we realize there's so much in it, is if it weren't for the Lord's mercies, I would have been consumed. Not just because of my past sin, as the best of my Christianity still seems to be so short of being the perfection that would just image the faithfulness of God. So Lord, even though I fall short as a faithful believer in different areas of my life, it's the compassions of God that move me back to the heart of God. Every time we get to pray, should truth be told, 
and the presence of God comes in and saturates our moment. And the Holy Spirit brings revelation to our hearts and softens us and purifies us inwardly. That's a mercy moment. That's a mercy moment. Because where would we be if God didn't act upon us? And why does God choose to act upon us? Not because we have given Him every good reason to, but because we have been favored by the love that's there selflessly, creating a compassionate moment so that we can enter into the ways of God. And how wonderful it is that everything that we have experienced, everything we are yet to know in our Christian life, in our life and nearness to the Lord, is going to be known because God has been compassionate to us. And out of that, as a reminisce to our own hearts, that's how I want to treat others along the path of everything that God does. With that in mind, I want to take a few minutes here just to pause. I want us to prepare for communion. And I want us to think about this moment. Is there anybody in your heart that you've struggled to have compassion for? And I want you to actually take some time to think, because if you're like me, what you've done is you're like, oh, yeah, I feel compassion to everybody that's on my mind at the moment. But is there somebody that you struggle to have compassion for? And I want to take a minute before we take communion just to give an altar call moment for you to just to have that time with God. Lord, I have struggled with compassion for so-and-so. And I want to get that right with you right now. See, the power of this isn't that Part of it is in your doing. Like you have to spend some time to go out and minister to them in whatever way. But most of the time, the first beginning of it is is where we are with the Lord and settle the issue with Him. If it's not that, I'm just going to encourage everybody in this moment, I want you to pray. I want to be in an attitude of prayer because here's where we just get to experience the presence of God. And we need His presence right now. We need you, Jesus. We need you. Isaac, if you would, um, I want you to just turn on the music on the computer here, and we're going to worship and just spend some time. I'm going to ask while he's doing that, just leave this open for everybody, and at the end I'll have the worship team come up and we'll, find, we'll have our final moments in the last song as he does.